Hello and welcome to Outdoor Asylum. Uh, this is Brad Allen and uh, we are here recording and filming at the Cash River Studio here at the Elite Duck Call Shop. Here as always with uh, producer Jake Seipert. Jake, how's it going, man? What's up? How y'all doing? <laughs> I'm ready to go jump in a river. Jump in a river. Hey, I'll tell you what, Jake and I actually got on the river a little bit earlier this week. We went and shot some video on uh, Cash River. And this time of year, the Cash River is hot and it's what uh, it's what Jake likes to refer to as mosquito-y. It's I think I got, I got my record mosquito slap. I think I got eight in one slap. <laughs> Eight's pretty good. That's pretty pretty good for me. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Guys, we are here with our guest uh, who really doesn't need an introduction. If you are into waterfowl, if, uh, if you like watching the hunting shows on television, uh, this guy needs no interju- introduction. We are here with uh, Mr. Jim Ronquist. Jim is the host of RNTV. He is also the 2006 World Duck Calling Champion. All around good guy, uh, Jim. Thanks for making the trip from Stuttgart, man. Man, buddy, thanks for having me. Thanks oh. for all them kind words. I'll yeah. pay you later. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's uh, it won't be cheap, but it won't be too bad. Hey, as long as you hit the middle, we fine. What you been up to lately? How's uh, how's the family doing? How's Miss Rosie? Miss Rosie is uh, man, she's mean as ever, really. You know, <laughs> um, proof positive that I did marry up. You know, uh-huh. I think some folks say I out kicked my coverage. I, I've been accused of the same thing myself. You know, yeah. Doing well there. She's doing great. Working every day. We're just having fun. A peanut, my daughter's in a rose. She's a, this is her last day. I'm going to brag on her a touch. She got accepted to be on the governor's intern program this year. Wow. Kind of sucks because it's the COVID-19. Yeah. So they normally do 12 kids for 12 weeks. They did six kids for six weeks, but mm-hmm. she made one of the six, and they did most of it virtual. Mm-hmm. But the past three days, she's got to spend last week, and then three days this week, she's got to spend some time at the Capitol. So great, man! It's quite that's an a honor. Great experience for the yeah. kids, man. She's told me some of the stuff they've had her doing, and it's real. You uh-huh. know, and it's. It, I'm proud for her to get there. It's something that she'll remember forever. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's tough with everything that's going on with COVID and whatnot. But she's getting some behind the scenes in a historical part of time even you know it's it's local government state government but still that's uh that's really impressive you know she's it's a good point because she's kind of been all fussy man i wish it was regular where i said but to your point when she's 25 30 years from now when they're talking to her kids about it mm-hmm. she's going to say well yeah i was there mm-hmm. when governor Aza hutchinson was doing this and that mm-hmm. so i think it'll be more important in the long run than she thinks yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Um, you know, doing this podcast, I've had I've had good friends on for the most part so far. You know, we, we're this fairly new podcast. And one thing I always love is even though these guys that I've known for a long time, good friends, we get in here talking. I always learn something about them just from doing this that I didn't know before when they came in as a guest, you know. And uh, I've been uh, fortunate to be on with you a time or two with it with RNTV, mm-hmm. and uh, you got to interview me a little bit. I'm happy to be able to turn the tide hey, on you just I, a little bit. Man, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I, it's, I'm honored that you, uh, that you asked me over. Well, thank you. We're gonna we're gonna break you down psychologically. To start with just lay down on that couch right there. Get okay. comfortable. Get, get we're gonna talk. Yeah, we're gonna talk about your inner child. And yeah. watch, <laughs> watch, watch this watch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, let's let's. Uh, well, in all seriousness, let's let's go back a little bit. Tell me about um, tell me about your childhood. Where where did you grow up? Man, everybody asks that because I'm kind of a. I come from a unique background. I reckon um, this is home. I've lived here long as I've lived anywhere. But m- my dad worked for a large civil contractor. They did 
big manufacturing facilities. They did locks and dams. They did bridges and whatnot. And Dad was a project manager. A pretty good job, but every time you'd finish a job, you'd get he'd get transferred from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So growing up, man, I went to I was originally our was originally from kind of south central Missouri a little bit to in the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. You know, Dad was a big bird hunter and horse turkeys and waterfowl. My dad and his dad were into dogs really good, which I am too, but um started there and then dad got transferred to place in west far western kentucky you know near the confluence of the mississippi and ohio rivers and you know i was a kid like first or second grade and of course dad loved to hunt and guys that worked with him were duck hunters and goose hunters and that was kind of where my waterfowl fever really started mm-hmm. the fire got lit so mm-hmm. to speak and from there we moved well, let's see where we go from there we was there for, from all through grade school middle school uh, I hate to say unfortunately, but I did a little bit of time in Illinois. For, just, just, well, just, you know, when you talk, I can hear a little bit of that Yankee in you. Oh, see, I know you're going to try to go where I'm. I, I know you're going to try. Nothing to go against there. our northern our northern brothers. No, no, not at all, not at all. But then we wound up back to Tennessee, and then back to Missouri when they moved Dad back to where their main headquarters was, and then, gosh. Went to work and wound up in Arkansas, and like I said, been here ever since. So mm-hmm. This is this is more home than anywhere. You know? I always think of Holly Grove with you. Is that where you yeah. pretty much where you yeah. spent most of your time? Yeah. yeah, until uh, we moved to our new house on Stuttgart side yeah. of the river. Yeah, we always refer to everything there as you know, lived across the river, and, and people, <laughs> which one across the white? River, you know. <laughs> so uh, obviously, um, I know now it was your father taking you on your first your first hunts, and you learned a lot from him. Um, so waterfowl was, I'm guessing that was a, was that his favorite type of hunting? You know, was that- Dad was a big quail hunter. He was a big bird hunter. So, I, you know, we had bird dogs growing up forever. Um, he loved quail hunt. He liked duck and goose hunt, liked turkey hunt. So, but, but quail hunt, and I was the short, fat kid, and Dad was <laughs> about your height, you know, long-legged, and he could walk, and my granddad on Dad's side, he was even bigger and taller, you know, and I'd go bird hunting with them, my little short, fat legs. I'd try to keep up, but they'd step over a three-strand barbed wire fence, no problem. And I was laying on the ground trying to roll under it and whatever I could to get there. But I enjoyed going and enjoyed doing And I just enjoyed being in the outdoors and was fortunate, i say to add this to the story, that my whole family was interested in outdoors. Mom would go with us. Um, I remember my mother taking me hunting in the morning and waiting in the truck for me to come back and take me to school. My brother and sister both enjoyed outdoors, liked hunting, fishing, shooting. So I was lucky that I grew up in a family like that. And you had two choices in my family. You either liked it or you didn't, Mm -hmm. but you was going anyway. So Mm -hmm. you just as well come along and go. Yeah. How many brothers and sisters? Got an older brother and older sister. Older brother and older sister. You were the... I was the baby. You were the baby. I got you. I got you. So what, uh, your father, was he a good duck caller? He was a fair duck caller and goose caller. Um, You know, he Canada hunted there some. West Kentucky was big for... Canada goose hunting, and, and he could he could blow a duck call and a goose call, a turkey call. He didn't study it like we do, but I did, you know. And he had a, one of his good friends become a mentor of mine, a fellow named Jim Mittendorf, um, who was dang sure a good duck caller, at least to me he was. Mm-hmm. And he could call with his hand, and his cousin Charlie were all good duck callers, and they they blow D two oaks or call with their hand. And um, I can remember thinking, listening, I'd be away from him, and I think, man, there's a duck over. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, well, it was them. You know, so that was kind of 
I always kind of followed that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of made me say, man, I want to do that one, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and the rest is history. What kind of duck call were they using? Uh, D2O. D2O. And so is, is that's, I guess that's what you started with. It was, and that's, that's kind of, that's another funny story, how that comes back around kind of yeah. full circle a little bit too. Um, it was that and a Ken Martin duck call. Uh-huh. Um, I remember sitting on a ditch bank one day with an old Ken Martin duck call and a PSO, and I didn't have no decoys, and I remember just, Seems like there was endless tons of ducks, and and I remember it like it was just they'd be chattering, and I'd, I'd they'd be sailing around looking, and that ditch bank was about as wide as this room, and of course none of them lit, but they I felt like they were looking, so I was mm-hmm. like, man, if I could do just a little bit more, we could talk them into giving up. Yeah, now you're known um, for the work that you do uh, with cut down calls, mm-hmm. um, so. You were using the D two old there. Where you where they cut down? You know, I think about cut downs. I always think about those in more of the southern states. You're getting into Arkansas, Louisiana when you're dealing with cut down up north. Not as much. Well, not necessarily. See, there. Getting the history of it, there's some people call it the Quincy cut. Some people call it the Illinois River cut. But yes, it was very popular up the Illinois River. Because if you think about it, look at some of the history. There's tons of old duck clubs up the Illinois River. Um, very important waterfowl state. If you study. The, early duck calls, most of those come from Illinois. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of people taking and modifying the old D2s in the Illinois River Valley, probably looking for something a little different, mm-hmm. but there was a lot going on up there same time there's stuff going here, and there's similarities. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we would call, what we call, most folks call it L.A. style, which that's really hacked off in the front. That I think that idea maybe come from Illinois, I think. I'm going to preface it with the word thing because <laughs> there was so much going on different times, even though there was, you know, you couldn't get on the phone or Facebook or Google it, man, people traveled, you know, and, and t- along with that, John Stevens, as big as collectors he is, he's kind of found a guy that Bean Lake Duck Call was a Doherty that may have been kin to his Doherty side to come from Kansas City to Arkansas every year in that, you know, 30s, 40s time frame. So there was information being spread around then as it is now but it took it longer to get there if that mm-hmm. makes sense so some of those ideas wasn't on facebook wasn't on facebook yeah couldn't google it you know <laughs> um, dang sure it wasn't on instagram but <laughs> I, I think there was a whole lot like duck hunters today there i, I think one thing's probably stayed constant is we all kind of kick around ideas a little bit back and forth sure we all think we have proprietary things that makes one's more special than the other one but that being said as duck hunters we're always looking for that magic flute mm-hmm. so if you heard of somebody man oh oh brad that duck caller he's blowing man that sucker sounded good and they broke them ducks high what, what, what'd he do different you know so i i think that was happening back then as duck calls mm-hmm. were evolving mm-hmm. as they were and I, I think it's constantly been ongoing yeah um but the interesting part back to your question i got in a rabbit hole there. Um, the D2s in I was blowing, you know, you might trim on a reed or something, but they wasn't as modified as they were, as we do now. And, and I kind of learned that from some other Arkansas hands and got mm-hmm. to playing with them, the, the late, great Lester Caps. You've probably heard his name. I heard Lester Caps' name, yes. Um, and there's been several others, and I just started whittling on one, and it's kind of my turned into kind of. Did you hunt with Lester any or just no? You did. Okay. I did. I got I, not a lot because there's people uh, that I'll probably get hard and feathered for this but there's a lot of folks you know everybody wants to compare themselves to lester they learn from lester and a lot of them did mm-hmm. i hunted with lester maybe 
half a dozen times at the very most. I don't mm-hmm. claim to be his best buddy or, you know, studied under his wing. Just was a student. When I was with him, I was like, oh, fellow Bo Duck called pretty good, you know, and uh, was dang good at it. And kind of got to be friends with him. We had a guide association for a little while here in Arkansas when everybody could still hunt on w- commercial hunt on WMAs and all that's that's all in the past. However, you go to guide associating meetings, Lester and I kind of buddied up a little bit, and I'd sit by him, talk to him. He was a cat. You know, mm-hmm. he was a lot of fun. But there's several people that will probably listen to this that knew him and hunted with him way, way more than I did. Mm-hmm. What uh, What do you think? And I've, I've heard that name. I, you know, I never had the privilege of meeting Mr. Capps. I don't know that much about him other than what I hear from others. Uh, but his name is just synonymous. I mean, you start, start talking about, you know, cut down calling in the state of Arkansas, he, that, that name seems to be at the top, you know, or at least or maybe even the bottom of the pyramid as it goes. He was mm-hmm. the base. So what made his what made his call special? You know. Or his calling special? I think his sound. I think his sound, you know, he waiting off a little bit because there's some other folks that come before him. I think it's really important. In it to, the fellow's an old rip. We'll back in, in Mr. Mallard. Um. That being said, what you might call today the buy me the style, for lack of a better term, the really hard that that was Lester with a big good duck lick in there also. Mm-hmm. I mean some really good duck lick and a good feed call. Mm-hmm. And he knew how to he had good sound, mm-hmm. probably more importantly knew how to read ducks and knew it's not necessarily what you did or how you did it. It's when you did it. Right. But he also knew when to back off and when to put, when to put it on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to any good duck call sure. right there, you know. Um, but he had a unique sound. And, uh, you know, you give props to uh, Kirk McCullough, Steve Schultz. You know, they really studied under him, as did some others. Um, and hunted with Lester a lot. You know, and he's like, man, what's this fella doing? And, you know, it, and evolution being what it is, he got to where, where it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what pushed you toward competitive calling? You're, you're talking about a totally different animal. You're getting away from a, from out there in the woods with a cut down. Now we're getting out, getting on stage with our comp calls. What uh, when did you start doing that? Same kind of thing, you know. When I first heard heard the world's championship, I heard on a radio piece one night, and it used to be you could. I can remember as a kid, I used to collect stuff on my bedroom wall. I'd have pictures of ducks and turkeys and deer probably like every other kid you'd rip stuff out of a magazine and hang it up and have some of those deer had bikinis on yeah, as i got up in high school <laughs> did, you know i mean you had a fair false poster hanging up in your room <laughs> I, I played the fifth ah gotcha anyway with that i can remember on calendars there'd be like the um saturday after thanksgiving world's championship duck calling contest and then i can remember reading articles in the major sporting magazines like Sports of Field, Outdoor Life, about that going hunt with that year's world champion. I remember reading about Mike McLemore, you know, and, and stuff he said. And, and I thought, man, that's cool. I'm going to do that. And I heard some – went to a seminar or went to a sports show, and I heard somebody blowing – this probably been in the late 70s. I, I don't know. I don't remember who it was. I don't remember who the world champion was, but I was off in the distance, and he blew a contest hail call in the microphone, and the reverb was on. You know, and it's that echo, and then the the echo, and I was like, man, that sounds cool. Yeah. I said, that don't sound like a duck at all, (laughs) but it sounds cool. I want to learn how to do that. Right. And then 
as you read the stories, you know, about past world champion callers and kind of made you think, man, them guys are duck hunters too. Because that's where I come from. I mentioned Jim Ittendorf, his cousin Charlie, and my dad. They was duck killers, you know. And um, Of course, they weren't of the mindset to talk down about it at all. They had great respect for it. That being said, it wasn't just necessarily their thing, but they had respect for people who were doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, goose calling side too. You know, when Harold Knight won the world goose with a tube call. You know, they, that was a big thing to them. But anyway, I, as I read and learned more about the World Championship Duck Calling Contest, and then I came and listened to it one year, and we was hunting in northeast Arkansas at that time, you know, Black River Bottom area, and I, and I come and listened to it, and uh, Ronnie Wright was second, and Trey won. I think it was 85. It was 85. And I remember being in the crowd listening and going, yeah, man, I want to do that. And then I got to know Ronnie a little bit and got to be great friend, friends with Trey Bow and mm-hmm. hunted with him a bunch. And he helped me when I was running Rich and Tone Guide Service and just, gosh, the rest is history. But I can remember sitting out there and listening to it and hearing people talk about when Ronnie Blue or Trey Blue about their feed call or about what they did and that. And I was like, man, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to learn. It's, it's like running, watching a really good dog run a blind retrieve or mm-hmm. a set of multiple marks. I want to have me one of them fancy dogs one day. Yeah. So it's the same kind of deal. Yeah. I had to, had, we had Trey on the podcast not long ago talking a lot about, uh, about Ronnie Wright and, and all that. So when um, you started, so was he the first guy, Ronnie Wright, and Trey were the, kind of the first guys that worked with you a little bit? Butch and Trey. You know, I, okay. I went, went there and I met Butch, you know, and talked to Butch. Well, I met Butch even before that. Let's see. Butch come to a DUV and I was at. Maybe about that same time frame, you know. What I'm saying? And I had at that time I had blowed, I had won like a couple county fair contests, kind of thing. You know, you couldn't call them a meat calling contest; they were just a duck calling contest, at county fair. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I said, you know, got my feet in the fire, so to speak. And I met Butch and blew for, blew a little bit. He helped me some, and um, I got a duck call and just kept practicing, practicing, and went and finally won a regional. Um, Went up to Indiana. First regional I won was the – I remember trading one at one year, but I think it's called the Grand – at that time called the Grand Calumet Regional. I got a homemade trophy cut out on a bandsaw with a double blade <laughs> and a slap on the back. And I was as proud as that proud. as I you was. You still have it? I still have it yeah. somewhere. And, and well, I didn't talk to Butch much at that time, you know, and I wound up showing, he's showing up the shop. He said, he recognized me. He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I – qualified for the world and he got you know he was all happy and giddy and i blew some he you know he coached me a little bit and he coached me a lot actually from then on but um he said well heck that's pretty good so one thing led to another i'll tell you experience about the first time i blew in the world gosh what year was that around was it the year roy rhodes won i think it was 90 89 or 90 somewhere and i remember being on stage and blowing and I got about halfway through, got about to come back, and I, my head, something in my head clicked. I said, man, I'm blowing what I want to blow. I felt like I was blowing pretty good. And I wasn't nervous a bit until that very point because I knew I was going to get my <laughs> butt kicked. When my head said I was doing what I thought was right. <laughs> the pressure. Ne- you put the pressure on yourself. Right. My knees my knees went to shaking. <laughs> I did what I was well known from then on, what got to be very well known for. I squawked. And I said, well, crap. But I finished my deal. Of course, you know, got cut. And 
I remember when I come off the stage, Butch met me when I walked out. And I remember it. And he drug me off there next to Lily's the radio shack. Drug me off in the corner, grabbed my jacket. You know how he do. He'd take that nub finger and he started thumping me in the chest. He said, if you wouldn't have squawked, if you figured blah, 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 you'd have been in the next round. You might have been, what'd you, blah, blah. You know, I just I got a good butch butt chewing right then. So you either had two choices there. You either going to come back and get some more of it or go away from it. Anybody that's had butch, uh, the late, great butch Richenbach, who we we both and many, uh, both and many others just love dearly, when he was making his point and he put that nub finger, you know, he cut what bandsaw, I guess, had take while he was building building calls, table yeah, saw, table taking, saw. taking the tip mm-hmm. of that finger out. When he hits you with that nub, oh man, he, you knew it. Yeah, and he hits you right in the middle of the chest, too. Where <laughs> whap, whap, whap. Yeah, and he'd always have you backed up where you couldn't get away from it. You had to take it. <laughs> I'll miss that guy. I miss that guy. Oh man, he'd thump you over the head. I can tell you stories about in the old, old days. Before the transplant, because we always said after Butch's transplant, it kind of softened him up just a touch. But I can remember being in an old shop and John be over there, William, he'd get on one of our butts really good, and you'd go back in this dipping room, man, and he'd shut the door and lock it. And he'd lock it to the side, and he'd make you go back there and blow. And this time, you might have air conditioning on, but it'd be hot back there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in the day, when there was a lot of contests. Summertime was practice time, you know. And if you didn't come out of there soaking wet, you'd done something wrong. And you'd stop. He'd bang on that door. Keep blowing, keep blowing. She'd get to blowing. And, or I remember one night I got something. Man, I just can't do it. But he's trying to get me to do some kind of crazy deal. He grabbed a stick of acrylic about that long. Went, what? He said, don't ever tell me you can't do nothing. <laughs> and he put a knot on my head. Um, done the same thing to Stevens a time or two. So um, those are all fun days, I guess, that, that – that, I don't know. Kind of be fun to get back to. I, I always laugh, but you know, you're talking about him being softer after he had that heart transplant, and he told me one time that people said that he was um, he was a lot nicer of a person after he had that, and he attributed that to it was a woman's heart. Yes, that he had yes. got he'd gotten a woman's heart, and I told him, I said, yeah, you may be friendly, but. Uh, I think it gave you some PMS. There's a couple times a month when I'm around you, but you're pretty damn cranky. Well, yeah. He so. was always cranky, but I think he got cranky on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. So you competed. You did the you did the con competitions, and uh, you won 2006, correct? Yes. And, you know, you were – I was there that night. Uh, I was out in the crowd, I think, probably eating a corn dog. I don't think I did as nearly as well as you did that that particular night, but I remember watching that. And uh, and seeing your reaction, you know, you'd done it. I mean, how many years had you done it? Oh, I had blowed, I want to say, one in 06. First time I qualified was 90 or 91. So it's 15, 16 years there. Yeah. I missed one year. The year my, 2000, the year my daughter was born. Uh, my wife loves to tell this story. Um, I had like nine seconds and four thirds that year. And I remember we had a litter of puppies on the ground that was four weeks old. They was born on the 18th of July of 2000. My daughter was born on the 18th of August of 2000. And a week later, I went to a contest at Real Foot and left her with eight little Labrador puppies <laughs> and a week old baby. And her mom and sister were there helping her out. And I said, you got plenty of help. You'll be fine. Yeah. So I didn't qualify that year, I think, on purpose. I think the big man upstairs had a little something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Karma will get you. <laughs> Every time. Every time. But when you won, man, you know, before then, 
I've said this many times, you know, that was, you know, I'm, I'm doing the competition calling myself and, and trying to evaluate, you know, where I'm at, who's the best out there. There were a few years there, man, that um, if people ask me right now, who's the best duck caller on the, on the circuit right now, I, I would have said you. Oh, I wow. said, I said Jim Ronquist, I think is, he, you know, you had several years there where you won there at the contest you used to have in Memphis. You know, you did very well there mm-hmm. once, one, you're very strong on stage. And for whatever reason, something would happen. I don't know, maybe bad note, maybe, you know, judges just not like what you're putting down that you didn't win up, up before then. I, but many times I had you down as my favorite to win it uh, prior to you actually winning. But when you won in 2006, was it um, – how much of it – you kind of go back to the wide world of sports. How much it, How much of it was the – the thrill of victory, um, and then just maybe just some relief there after after many years of doing it. Some of both, and that's a great question because, you know, um, I, I appreciate that. And I did have some good success at some big contests. You know, like you said, the U.S. Open, um, back-to-back, um, IWAs, you know, big big regionals with big, big hitters in them and was always proud to get those wins. Um, 99, I got closer to world. Um, that was part of my 2000 fallacy is, is I second 99, Barney Califf, who was a great caller. I always loved Barney. Um, he, he won by a point or two. And when I went back and listened to it, I seen we're perfectly okay with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I seen where I had goofed up and he blew well. And in 2000, not so much. And then tried to, tried to start all over again. You know, I went a couple of years there without nobody coaching. And, and this is a, anybody listening to this, if you're an aspiring contest guy, have somebody coach you, you know, for sure. And I wouldn't. I was practicing on my own, not listening back to it. And I asked John one day, and I was blowing. He said, man, he said, we need to start strip you clean to start you all over again. And I did, you know. And, and that led up to finally when I was blowing good in 05. Um, I squawked, you know, had that deal. Man, Jimbo's got a good shot if he don't squawk. You know, we heard that a lot. <laughs> um, felt bad after 05, but was proud to see John win his third and then come back in 06, and, you know, really, I'm going to attribute that to coaching. I'd go to Butch's and practice, and that's right after his transplant, so he didn't, didn't go uptown, wasn't a lot of people coming around, and we'd have time, we'd practice it, and it got comfortable, and I got comfortable with it. And when I blew, I remember that night, it's funny, I know you're the same way, I bet you can remember each one of your three wins pretty well. But I remember blowing the first round, I never saw a light come on, and I remember walking off stage. I wasn't just real fired up about it, but I remember thinking, "I'll take that." I mean, it's going to be what it's going to be at this point. You've mm-hmm. been—I had been there enough that it's going to be what it's going to be, right? So, um, and I remember walking back in the, on the bus back there, and everybody just looking at me. I said, "That's weird." You know, normally everybody likes to cut up. You know how it was sure. back there. And the second <laughs> round, I said, "Well, if I, I said if I let me come back, I'm going to try a little harder." So I blew the second round and. Uh, I felt a little better about it, but still didn't see the light come on. So I was thinking, man, am I leaving something out? <laughs> you know, because you know you always speed, yeah, speed yeah. up. And I said, man, I hope I just hope I make the third round, you know, because I hadn't really made any major mistakes in my head. You always think you make a little one or two. Uh, I said, man, I hope they let me blow. I hope I get to blow in the third anyway. So I come back, got to blow in the third, and I tried to really think and bear. I tried to think before I started. Right every, all the time when I was – the next guy on deck, I'd try to tune the guy in front of me out and try to think about, okay, what have I got to do here? You know, I'd kind of walk myself through it. And I remember walking up there for the third, it just felt automatic. And I just blew. And I, 
And when it was over, I said, yeah, it was pretty good. It was all right, you know. Maybe I place. And uh, I remember going back on, on, on the bus there. And folks, you know how guys are. We know so-and-so, so-and-so. And some, a couple of folks said, man, I think you got it. I said, man, I don't know. I said, I, I, I made it this far. It is what it is. Had your heart broken before. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so you try not to get yourself to do yeah. it. You know, so I remember when we walked out front there, um, and I seen all my buddies and family up there close to the stage. I had a really good feeling, you know, <laughs> I had, as, as you probably remember yourself. Um, so that's that's how it worked out, and they called my name. I was fired up, man. That was cool. Yeah, and for the listeners that are not familiar with the duck calling contest, where you're talking about the light come on, you when you have 10 seconds left in your routine, that light comes comes on Correct. to tell you you're about to run out of time. So you didn't see the light, so you were you were moving at a pretty good pace. Yeah, uh, you were you were jazzed up, and you were you were in that groove, and you were you were moving through your routine pretty kind quick. Kind of what had me concerned, to be honest with you, because yeah. I was thinking, okay, why didn't? Because normally I I really practice timing going into 05 and 06. I tried to really work on my timing. And I remember thinking that. And I thought, man, what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Or I got thinking, you're blowing so fast yeah. that they're not scoring you. Like, you're not getting a really good score. You're, you're in there, but you're not getting where you need to be. Yeah, and as far as the buddies, you know, they post, like, they expose your score after the first round to the crowd. They know what you got. They know what you get for the second round. That third round's hidden. So even though I'm just – trying to put myself in your shoes, even though you look out there and when you see your buddies up there, now you know that you did good in round one, round two. You suspected you did, but they could be wrong. Your last oh, round, yeah. they don't know for sure that you won, but no. uh, they're feeling and, good about it. I know that, you're in the hunt. Correct, exactly. I, I knew I was, I was going to maybe be have another top five finish, but, you know, I didn't know I had won it. Because um, to your point, that, that final, that final, sometimes a lot of things happen and change in the third, as mm-hmm. you well know. Um, but anyway, the, the rest is history. They called my name and people rushed the stage and that was a, man, that's a cool feeling. Yeah. You know? Hey, and I enjoyed being on the other side of that rushing the stage for buddies or, or waiting my turn to come congratulate yourself and others. You know, it's, yeah. that's, that's the fun part of that game. Right yeah. There. I was unhappy with my performance that night, but I was very happy for you, uh, sat back and, and saw that stage get rushed. And one thing stands out to me in my mind is, uh, is the the hug that you gave Rosie mm. and uh you know picking her up you giving her the big yeah. hug yeah. yeah you know and and that was uh that was really something to me i mean just being your friend and seeing seeing that knowing miss rosie i could just say that was a, that's uh it's just a cool thing to see you it know was. she's and- she stands by you're on the road a lot doing exactly. a lot of things together and, and yes. i thought about that when i saw y'all together that night and that was exactly it cuz she bless her heart you know i can remember practicing or you mentioned Holly Grove we lived in a 900 square foot house and i'd practice a lot in the kitchen until i had me a little shed outside to go practice in and uh, she used to make me feel kind of bad i'd just i'd lean against the kitchen sink and practice the next morning so how it sounds she said, i don't know put me to sleep hey, <laughs> but you could blow two notes on a goose call in there or a spec call and you better get out the way but uh, it didn't bug her you know that i could practice in there and i'd practice in the house or i'd go to go to shop and practice but there was some relief from putting the time in and finally getting that one win and, and her sticking by me and my buddies who stuck by me. Through a lot of those years, we was running Rich and Tone Guide Service. So, man, you was busy really working a lot, hunting and cutting brush right up into that point. And I remember a lot of years there going into the world, I'd go into the world blowing good, but I'd get an allergy from 
cutting duck blind brush or something. So you'd get there and you'd be coughing and hacking and sneezing. And, you know, that probably took its toll to some degree or another. So buddies had helped me out and pushed me a little bit. So I'm, I was happy to do it. It's, it's one of my finer moments mm-hmm. in, for me. You know, birth of my child, getting married, winning the world were things that really – Something you'll never forget. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you talk about running the R&T, the Rich and Tone Guide Service. When did you start actually being an employee working for Rich and Tone Duck Calls? As a, I, I got to work kind of as a consultant there for a while, but I think I went on the payroll in 2000, I think, um, okay. as, a, as a bona fide employee. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2000. When Angie listens to this, if she, she'll she'll remind me if it was two thousand or two thousand. <laughs> we'll, we'll text her real quick. Yeah. Find out. Yeah. Because uh, John bought bought Rich and Tone in ninety nine. You know that's when Butch Butch's health was kind of not doing so well. So John took over in ninety nine. Um, John and then of course Rusty Bullock, myself were kind of early ones. Had some other guys John hired to work in the shop. You know to do different things. So it it grew fairly quickly from from, from there. Um, John's vision was different than Butch's, which is eventually kind of probably caused some struggles. But um, John was thinking big picture, you know, and it, it turned out really well. But yeah. that's going a whole other direction. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, so when did when did you start RNTV? When did your show start? RNTV started in two thousand and six. Because we're. we're I thank you for asking that because we're celebrating our 15th year on outdoor television. We're, matter of fact, we're going to have a big episode. They're going to give us a marathon one Saturday afternoon. We're doing an hour-long special. It's going to be pretty cool. And this is our 15th season, so it's 2020, so 2005. Well, 15 years, man. That's, 15 uh, years. Congratulations. That's uh, that's quite an accomplishment. You know, there's folks run longer. Um, DUTV is longer. There's other shows that's even older than that, but um, – Still, 15 years on outdoor television, as volatile as that business is, is, is something I'm very proud of. And, of course, we were doing videos before that. We, You know, back in the day, you either done a feature video over on TV, and we kind of transitioned from the video world to just doing outdoor television. Um, an ironic thing, if you get on our website and dig around, way back when we also were doing webisodes and a podcast, and we kind of let off of them to – put our efforts towards linear television to where looking back, if we'd have stayed with not only TV, but put the same effort into the inside out, we call it RNT's inside out, the webisode. And then I think it's the podcast called up in the wheelhouse. If we'd have kept them going, now they're still out there, mm-hmm. but if we'd have kept, kept it up and running, yeah. man, we'd have been way ahead. Yeah. From, and I've, you, you can always resurrect it, but we'd have been coming from, on the front edge, then instead right. of coming from behind, right? That's why I think what you're doing here is a good thing. Oh well, thank you. We're we're enjoying it, uh, really having fun with it. Wish I had started it back um, at the time that you're talking about. We're mm-hmm. just not getting going with it, but uh, having a blast doing yeah, it. Man, that's good stuff. You know, it's fun. What's funny is you think about it to your our conversation here, talking about getting a win and different things. Peanuts fixing to be twenty. She's born in two thousand. 15 years on television. Um, 
those 20 years in the middle of your life go really quick. <laughs> For anybody out there listening, it, it's, it seems like it was yesterday. And all the memories made in those 20 were, were strong ones, you know. So I, I would implore anybody that's listening to enjoy every day for what it is. And you got youngins, you, you'll blink your eyes twice and they'll be arguing with coming home from college, arguing with you over something. I've heard it said before, uh, you know, I've got a daughter at home, uh, six, about to hit seven. Um, and I heard a guy, he told me when, you know, right around the time that she was born, he said, when you're a parent, um, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm. And uh, the the further I get into parenthood, the more I see that he's absolutely right about that. You bet. Absolutely right. You bet. There's a picture that made that you talked about that. I got it hanging up in my home office, at, in my personal shop at home. It, and it's the night of the world. Peanut got up there, and I was giving her a big hug, and she was like six or seven. She's crying. Everybody thought she's crying because I won. No, she's crying because she got trampled, and I had to save her. But um, <laughs> that's not funny that your daughter got trampled. I'm just laughing at the situation. At the situation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it made the front page of the paper. My hat's all knocked off, and, and she's crying. She had, you know, they put paint, had her face all painted up from being at the <laughs> carnival and whatnot. But I think I see her now. And I think about that picture, thinking, "Wow, that just happened that quick." Yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, I guess it was my last one, coming home that morning and just getting up. That Hannah was not very old when she had newborn, you know, for the most part, and just spending that time. I remember just laying her down the floor and just playing with her the night after. That's one of those things that stands out to me. You know, mm-hmm. I remember that next morning with her, you know, being so happy that night and finishing that up and spending that time with her. You, you, when you can tie those things in with family, it just makes it all that much that much more special. It's what makes what we do important. You know, and there's a lot of folks that's not around our way of life that maybe not understand that exactly, mm-hmm. but it's a big part of our heritage. The hunting, fishing, Duck calling contest, turkey calling contest, goose calling contest, whatever part of it you play, it becomes your lifestyle, and you, our whole families are involved in that for the most part. And it is important, mm-hmm. and it, it's what keeps keeps a lot of us glued together. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the beauty of the calling sports, I think, are even though we're all competitors, we were all buddies. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times we go to them big contests in Kansas City, we all wanted to win and get qualified up sure. there. But what we do Friday night, Saturday night, well, I went out and had some beers, went and had something to eat, went and had a good time. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think, the beauty of, of it. Yeah. Um, you ain't got out there, you know, it ain't you, you're not enemies. We're all friends. Yeah. You know? you know, sometimes I feel like an old man. Sometimes I'm, I'm kind of like the old man talking about these little whippersnappers or something. You know, I see these young guys now. I'm like, you guys not having fun like we did whenever whenever I was competing. What, I don't know what's gotten into these guys. I don't you know, know. I don't want to. I don't want to pile on the millennials, but, uh, you know, what's <laughs> what's going on, man? What has changed? So it, it does kind of make you wonder. And I, I don't know that we want to get in there on, on a public <laughs> show or not, but um, it's different. And yeah. that's a little why I, I kind of stick to the administrative side of yeah. things nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Well, I sound like an old man. Get out of my yard. You know, that's kind of how I sound talking about this. But I, I look at that, and and you know what? The generations before us probably looked at us and they thought, man, yeah, thing. we're not doing it the, the way yeah. we did it. I know. I remember like David Stark riding me in truck one time. Right, pick him up, took him somewhere. And brother David, who was one of the greats himself, um, said was talking about something the way we were doing something on a comeback. Something that man, we just didn't do it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and 
They probably said the same thing. (laughs) And that's life. You know, I remember my dad telling me stuff about, man, if y'all did the kind of stuff we did when we was kids, they'd put you in jail. And now I know for sure if these kids nowadays did what we did, they'd go to jail. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this, you know, so 15 years on TV, being a host on, you know, and, and doing this this long, this is what you're known for primarily. People see you, they think about R and T V. Did you see this life coming years ago? But did you did you think, man, this is something I want to do? I want to be an outdoor you, you watch outdoor TV. Did you ever find, see yourself being a host of a TV show like this? 